Melech and Hanukkah to one and all. By now we have all heard the news about the Petira of Marunder Shishiva Rabbi Leib Steinman, Sechet Tzadik Levrocha. Just to spend a few minutes to reflect what this means for Klal Yisrael. <coughs> My grandfather, Al-Vashalom, escaped the Nazis, the Slovaks, and he came to America in 1946. For a dollar a week, he was able to buy Israeli bonds. And they had a raffle. And the raffle was a trip, a ticket to Israel. And he won the raffle. No other way he would have been able to afford to go to Eretz Yisrael. He won the raffle, one ticket. So he left my grandmother behind. And he went to Eretz Yisrael. In 1952 this was. And he went into the Chazenish and he cried out his heart. He was one of eight siblings, the only one to survive. His parents didn't survive. And he asked the Chazenish, why? What does Hashem want? But he would describe that visit to the Chazenish. He says he came in, the Chazenish was sitting on a bed with a little table in front of him. And behind him was this sort of wooden little table or stool that was behind his back. And that's how the Chazanish would sit on the bed with a, a little wooden table behind him. Several times I had this schus of going in to see Rabbi Barleib Steinman Zatzal. And I walk into the room, and he's sitting on his bed with a little table in front of him. And behind him is a little wooden table or stool propping up his back. And indeed, as my grandfather used to say over, this is the way I'll describe to my grandchildren how this Godel lived. It's interesting to note that Byron Cutler's at Salvador of Lakewood, in a short hespid that he said about the Chazenish, he quoted the following Gemara. And it's so apropos because there's more connections between the Chazanish and Rabbi Leib more than just the way they conducted themselves in their house, the simplicity, the pashtus, the humility, the running away from any honor that people wanted to give them. Rabbi Leib it was 103, 104. And some people say to themselves, okay, 
did we think he would live forever? Although Reb Chaim Zolgazuntzayim used to say, 120 is good for most Yidin. For a Baron Leib, we need him until 150. The Gemara tells us about Cotton that when Rabbi Yechanan was Nifter, Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakai, when he was Nifter, so the Masvid, Rabbi Yitzchok ben Elazar, got up and said on him the Pasuk, Vehevesi Hashem Eshbatzaharayim. He says, Woe is to us, Hashem has set the sun in midday. To indicate that. Uh, Rabbi Yechonah he's in his prime. When Hashem has taken him away, Hashem has set the sun, but Zarayim, in midday, the sun has set. So Rav Aaron asks the obvious question. You know how old Yechonah was at Espetira? He was 120 years old. This Pasuk Vevesi, Hashemesh, but that was said on Yeshio HaMelech, who indeed died young. He was getting the people to do tshuva. And he died young at the hands of the Parimel of Mitzrayim. He was 39 years old. It's appropriate to say, the sun set at midday. But Rabbi Yechon Metzakai, 120 years old, that's what we say. So Rabbi explains that the setting of the sun in midday is not referring to Rabbi Yechon ben Zakkai. It was referring to Klal Yisrael. For us, it's still midday. For us, we're still in the middle of the day. We're not ready to just, this, when the sun sets, and we need a rest, and we know what we've done during the day. We're still working. We still are very close to Mashiach. We still need so much guidance. In the time of Rabbi Yechon ben Zakkai, there were so many Xeris at that time. And the Klal Yisrael needed guidance from their leader, from Rabbi Yechon the Nasi. And therefore, for us, from our perspective, it was like the sun set in midday, because for us, we're in the middle of everything. And we lost our leader, Rabbi Yechon So it's true, Rabbi Arlei was over 100 years old. But for us, it's in midday. For us, we've lost our leader. And as Rabbi concludes his Hesped and the Chazenish, he says he was zeichet to the greatness because of the Torah l'shema that he learned, Torah just for its own sake, and because of the fact that he ran away from all honor that people wanted to afford him. And indeed, it, it's the correlation to Rabbi Leib is so similar. His whole life, he was always worried about not getting covered, how much it would take away from his share in the world to come. Rabbi ends off the only way that we can keep a Godel with us. And really what's incumbent upon us to do when a Godel passes away is to try to see some of the things of what this Godel stood for. We're not going to be able to sit without a back to our chairs. We're not going to be able to eat just the bare minimum to survive from day to day. But if the Eibishter took Rabbi Leib away from us right before the Yom Tev of Chanukah, <coughs> right before the days of Lahoydais or Lahalel, Rekavu Shmoinas Yimei Chanukah Elu Lahoydais or Lahalel L'Shimcha Agadol. That's what we end Alanisim with. These are days that were procured by Chazal. 
And one thing that Rabban laid throughout his life, all of his family members and some of the Svarim that they've written in years past already, Rabban Leib would always say that we have to be thankful for everything. We have no schus. We have a schus to be alive. We should be happy we're alive. We have a schus of what we have. He used to say, I'm so thankful for everything. What schus do I have? Who am I? And yet, I have children and grandchildren and they want to help me. They want to take care of me. I was eager to write Svarim, he says. Why should I have the schus? For everything he was thankful. And he used to say this, and it was once a speech he gave on Hanukkah. And he says, we take for granted everything that we have. What right do we have to take for granted as if, yes, it's coming to us. Who says it's coming to us? Who says we deserve it? He used to say, you have to be thankful for everything. You know that everything is just a chesed me'ashem. Everything we have and everything that happens to us good is a chesed for Hashem. And really everything that happens to us bad is also. We just have to have the amunit to believe that. And certainly... If we went straight from the Avelus into the Yomtev of Hanukkah, and the Yomtev of Hanukkah was said, there's eight days, just to thank and praise the great name of Hashem. And this is something that he tried to indoctrinate into Klal Yisrael and all those that came close to him. It's something that it would be a good lesson to learn from this great Godel, to thank Hashem for everything whether we express it to other people, express it to ourselves, express it to Hashem, to thank Hashem for everything. And this will be a great schus for ourselves and for His Neshama. <coughs> welcome everyone to the annual Hanukkah Mesiba of the Kolo. I wanted to first thank our sponsors of this evening, Mr. and Mrs. Mark and Debbie Frankel from Old Lancaster Road. Yeah. A special day they're having is a simcha in the mishpacha. Mazel tov on the simcha. Special birthday. <coughs> As well, Dr. Eli and Tamar Miller. Also a mazel tov. Rib Shloim and Susan Layton, they just had a Mazel Tov this week as well. Mazel Tov to Sid, and as well as sponsoring, and uh, Mr. Anonymous. I don't know if they're celebrating a Simcha or not. <laughs> it's a great covet to have Rabbi Viner, who made the trip from Muncie, I believe this is his first time speaking here in Philadelphia, certainly in the Kail, first time here. If you've not heard Rabbi Viner yet, if you go to his website, which is torahstream.org, there are uh, over 1,400 shiurim on the website, and hopefully you will take advantage of that. It's all free of charge. Bevine, I think if you charge money, more people will listen. <laughs> oh, okay. But Rabbi Vine really has been uh, a speaker in many, many different places. Recently, most recently, at the Gooda Convention, a uh, keynote speaker on Sunday morning. And he's not afraid to speak the truth. 
Does it try to be politically correct? Maybe I don't either, that's why I'm saying that. <laughs> Rabbi Weiner speaks the truth, and he speaks things that really us as Yidden have to hear. And we hope indeed to be inspired by his words in Divrei Chizik tonight. <coughs> Zephyrin, who tried three years in a row to put this together. He knew the aside, he can't say no for three years, and Philly's not that far. I found that out today, so I actually might come back. Yeah, everyone looks very choshev. And uh, yes, uh, certainly one of the sponsors is having uh, a simcha, and um, when I'm not coming here, he's coming to me to uh, hear shir. Uh, turns out I know already half the heirloom and I was only here a few minutes, so it uh, seems to be that uh, you come out on the Leil Hanukkah and the drasha first starts at 9 and I usually speak as long as the round trip commute is, so um, it takes a lot of a serious nefesh. And uh, the advertising, it's a lot of fun to advertise when Baruch Hashem you have nothing to sell. Oh, I just mentioned. So, yes, everything is free, and the uh, brilliant webmaster in the shul just recently told me he got everything down to one little USB drive, 1400 shirim. I don't know how he got them on there, um, but uh, he said 1200, 1300, 1400, whatever it is, whatever, everything to date. He just took it off the website, and the thing is $10 just to make another one for the next guy, but it's all free. So I'm leaving it with Rabbi Zephyrin, uh, or over there. Can help yourselves if you commute. Hopefully, you will enjoy getting stuck in traffic. And if you don't, you can even listen to it at home. And uh, hopefully, uh, it will come in handy. And if you listen to all 1400, you might hear one or two things we talk about tonight. But I'm banking on the fact that that won't happen for a couple of weeks. And there is a lot of new material also about Hashem. Hanukkah, there's really uh, so much to talk about. And this wasn't pre planned. A lot of what you spoke about. Not a tiny, it actually gives me the segue. Halal the Hadaya, and the title you saw on that uh, beautiful sign there is uh, Going the Extra Mile. I uh, mentioned before uh, we were speaking that most of this is not scripted because Mama Kemis over here, but there's so much to say that when you start off with the Chaznish, Get back in Mitzvah Shem to Leib Zatzal, Zechah to be by many times as well. But the Chaznish, if you ever went to him, which nobody in this room probably had the, of course, pretty young crowd here, um, he was often on his bed leaning against something. And there are many stories, people used to come in and he was almost by his bed, he was on the floor. First time you see it, you walk in, you're very, Rebbe, is everything okay? He said, everything's fine. I just miscalculated by seven seconds. You just got to understand what that means. It means that Chaznish understood, it's something we have to understand, we're not going to get near seven seconds, but every ounce of strength we have, every dollar we have, every asset we have, every talent we have, has to be used in our Vedas Hashem. And you got to protect your health, Chaznish, of course, did and knew, and you have to practice the balance of 
your physical health, your mental health. And I tell this to Yeshiva Bacharim, but it really applies to <coughs> former Yeshiva Bacharim, new Yeshiva Bacharim, Bacharetz, there's no word like that, but um, <laughs> the female version of that is. And for Yeshiva Bacharim, so the, the parents always come to me to complain that I'm very happy he's learning, but that, can we trim it to 13 hours a day? I'm, I'm worried. I tell them, I said, the balance is, the parents say, push this way, and the Bacharim pushes that way, the balance is finding where you're very tired, very, very tired, and feel like you can't push anymore, and then you push another 10 minutes, and then I tell the Bach, he has to listen to his mother and turn off the light. Chaznish had that calculation all the time, pushed and drove himself, learn another shayla, another psak, another, another audience of somebody from Paisal needed his help, and he pushed himself, and he was very Eiskecheshpen, he had everything figured out, and sometimes he miscalculated by seven seconds, and he couldn't make it to the bed. Just understand that that's not just like we're going to sit on chairs with backs, because we're not holding there, but you have to talk about this, because you've got to know what the pinnacle of effort really is, and then work your way from there. And we're going to focus on this, that's the theme for tonight. Nothing's a coincidence. And I'm going to begin with a question I always had. Are you diving this Ashkenazi? Maybe have a sitter? So, Nusach Ashkenaz, this is Lahabdal Elif uh, I don't want to compare, but what they call on Madison Avenue, that's in New York. Um, the, out of town is, uh, we call this top billing. What capital in Tehillim is the lead part of our Tila in Bezukah Zimra? What do we start with? Nusach Ashkenaz, the answer is obvious, even with Sephara, that's really part of their lead. They just sort of like start later, and I always have gratitude. I tell my Gavai, we daven Ashkenaz. I say, it's a good thing you daven Sephara. You can yell out to my Kriyashma, it's 9-12. You heard that uh, two weeks ago. That's because he, he doesn't talk during the Zimra. He has a few more minutes. But both the scholars agree that we start off with a particular capital, which uh, is even more famous than Hanukkah, because we say it after davening. And there are two questions which I'd like to raise and hopefully address. One is, why is it the lead-off of all tefillah? This is an introduction to davening. So this should tell us a very big aside, a deep secret into what davening is all about, what are our objectives, what are our expectations. And here it is in front, Mizmah Sheikh Hanukkah Sabayis L'David. I say, well, I've got to start with some capital in Tehillim, so that's the question, why this one? What is the message of this particular one? And he'll say, well, whatever it is, at least on Hanukkah, we say it at the beginning of Davening, and then we say it at the end of Davening. And why do we say it on Hanukkah? Anybody know? Because Hanukkah is all about Hanukkah Sabayis. This is about Hanukkah's Beisamikdash. Hashmanayim did Hanukkah Sabayis again. The only small little problem is it starts off Mizma Yashir Hanukkah Sabayis David, And then it begins and ends, and everything in between is the same. 
with a very moving account of Davon Amalek's trials and tribulations, ups and downs, and Yeshua's and Muhammad's, is there's absolutely nothing about the base of Mikdash. Nothing about the base of Mikdash, nothing about the Mishkan, nothing. So for a title, Mizmah Shir Hanukkah Sabayis David, it certainly requires a bit of uh, thought. You start off, this is the title, and it says nothing about the subject. And then we use this on Hanukkah to talk about the Hanukkah Zabayis. Those are my two questions. What, what exactly is going on? And this is something, you know, it's the first thing we say in the morning. A couple people once in a while come a little late and they start with Bar Shamar. But that happens once every three, four years. <laughs> so... Most of us said this this morning twice, we hope. I think the uh, explanation is as follows. David Melch spent his entire life learning, asking, leading Klai Yisrael, doing mitzvahs. That, we have a Shulchan Aruch, that is across the board, every Jew has to keep the same Shulchan Aruch. And then there's often, we don't often know about it, we haven't yet figured it out, but there's often a calling that we have, besides keeping everything, and learning everything, and doing all the chesed we can, giving all the stuff we can, we also have a, a job, and by the way, if you don't figure it out, don't worry about it. If you keep all Shulchan Aruch and learn everything and do all the chesed, you'll, you're fine. But David Amel did all that, and also understood, or thought he understood, that his primary function here, and this is what he, you look through Tehillim, you look through Navi, his entire shifa, his entire direction, all his preparations in life were for one thing, to build the base of All Every battle he fought, he had zillions of dollars of booty. Now, that's not politically correct, but you already told me I can say things that are not politically correct. But uh, if you have to fight a battle, and they start up with you, and there's booty. That's called the Kenya Muhammad, that is, uh, that's not Geneva at all. We shouldn't do it today, because the Umas Ailam have decided that uh, we can't really do that, and we can't take over any land. You notice how America first uh, claimed that they had manifest destiny from sea to shining sea, and after they conquered everything there was to conquer and bought the rest, they told the rest of the world you can't conquer anything. Very interesting. But... They decided, okay, so for whatever reason, by convention now, we, we don't conquer, which we don't. We'd be happy if we could defend ourselves. And uh, when we're defending ourselves, we don't take any booty. But David Amalek was quite wealthy, and everything he got, he set aside in one huge pile for the base of the And this was his whole life, and all his prayers, and all his uh, shifas and preparations. Everything was for this. You couldn't start yet because the Pasuk says quite clearly you can't start building the Besamekdash until you secure all the Israel, You've got to fight all the battles. And he spent many decades fighting a lot of wars because we have a lot of enemies. Baruch Hashem, after many decades of fierce fighting, he finally got to the point. He looked around. And he realizes, Baruch Hashem, it's, it's finally over and now I can go ahead. We have all the money. We have the architects. And uh, let's go. So he called to the Navi and he told him, uh, I think uh, this is about as peaceful as it's going to get. Well, let's get going. And the Navi told him on the spot, great idea, Your Highness. He told him that as a friend, as a Tamachachom, it made a lot of sense. And then Nasser Navi goes home and he has an avu in the middle of the night, which he woke up from. And he was told to go right now, not tomorrow morning, 
because Dr. Amal has a lot of reasons and if you go tomorrow morning, he'll have half of it built. Get up in the middle of the night and go to Dr. Amal and tell him the answer is no. Can you imagine? Decades and decades of preparation in Tvila. And Navi walks in at 2 a.m. He was probably very... I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the explanation is. We don't know what the explanation is there. Medrashim and Chazals. And he was too big a tzaddik and he couldn't be destroyed. And he, one major says there was a conversation afterwards between Davon and Melech Kaviyochon and Kosh Baruch Hu. And Hashem said, you can't build it. Mesamitich is a, is a house of peace and you fought two men of Muhammad. And David said, I fought all those wars for you. Hashem said, yes, every single Russia you killed is like a carp of a funai. Okay, good. So I can build it? No. Absolutely not. Your son will build it. Preparation will be used, the money will be used, your son is your son. The efforts will be worthwhile, but you're not building it. So now we have a very uh, moral and ethical paradox. How do you react in a spiritual way? How do you react when you dive in for 50, 60 years and ask a Kajabaru for many things, but your primary project is front and center and you're making preparations and you're doing all the things you're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, as we'd say, out of the left field, the Navi comes and says, Hashem just told me, no! What do you do when the answer is no? So the godless, the Davon is he took his pen and he wrote down the most moving account of a tzaddik saying thank you to, for, to, for everything that happened and even for the no. Everything that Akash Baruch Hu put him through, Dovah had a very tough life. I say put him through in a positive way. Dovah Melech is now experienced enough and I'll be tough enough to understand that when I first heard Nova here, it was difficult. We know that because there was conversation afterwards. But now I look back and I see my entire life. I was asked to be king, didn't want the job. I was anointed, taken back from the doghouse. When I was born, they thought I wasn't even part of the family. Threw me out. I was called back. After I became king, at least now I have a guarantee, that I had to run for my life for two years. Couldn't sleep in the same place for, forget a night, more than three hours almost at a near miss of actually getting killed quite a few times. And this is after you promised me Amalchus. And if you look at Mizmah Sheikh Hanukkah of Isaac David, the entire theme of the capital, I won all the wars, you saved me, Hashem Elokai, Shivati you all know the rest of it. And David Malach reviews his life and he sees that whenever he thought Akash Baruch Hu, forgot about him, but there was Hester upon him. He starts up and now I see that everything ends for my benefit. And the reason he entitled this Mizmashir Hanukkah of Isla David because this was his response. <coughs> what do you do when the answer is no and it's a crushing defeat and a disappointment that doesn't begin to describe on everything you worked for your entire life? 
That's why it's the beginning of davening. Because you're about to start davening, you ask Hashem, everybody has a wish list, you ask Hashem for all sorts of things. <coughs> and if we are lucky and we have schusim, Hashem will say yes to the things that are good for us and say no to the things that we don't need or are harmful. So let's get that to daven in a slightly generic way, or at least if you're davening for a specific thing. There's some people, if you ever bumped into any, there's some people, but actually daven for a million dollars, two million dollars, ten million dollars. That might be wonderful, it might be the worst poison in the world. So at least put it at the end, if it's good for me. So somebody wants to ask me, I have to tell Hashem if it's good for me. The answer is, tefillah uh, is so powerful, if you keep asking for the same thing, you might get it even if it's not such a great idea. That's the kayach tefillah. So what introduces us to Pazukah Zimra and the rest of tefillah is understanding when no is for your benefit. And part two, also understanding that your efforts are not for naught. Lamaisa Davin laid all the supplies, paid for it. His son built it. And what's fascinating, also fascinating slash, we look at it as tragic. It can't be because everything it's really good, we just have to figure out long view of history, how. You're all familiar? The Ramban points this out, but we know this in history. At great personal cost, we think that uh, we don't know the history of Hanukkah. Yeah, they came, they beat the Greeks, our kids probably sing it over, and it looks like the whole thing took 20 minutes, or at least it certainly wasn't more than six days. And that was it, and it was all over. Took them two, three years just to secure Yushalayim in the area. It took a full generation, 25 years, four out of five sons killed, till Shimon even took control. He didn't survive that much longer, and within a short period of time, the descendants of Hashemanaim with Sadukim, they weren't even from, quasi from, they thought they were from, whatever. <coughs> Not our business exactly what the Din and Shemayim is, but that's. Uh, we're, we're celebrating Hanukkah, Chazal understood, they said Klai Yisrael. And the Ramban, Parshvei says, they said Klai Yisrael, they were chasidah elu, elion. They were all wiped out, the Ramban has one reason, they took the malchus away from Yehuda. Uh, it's for good discussion of Hanukkah, the original brothers stayed clear of the title king, and they didn't want to take it because later should say Yehuda. The later ones did, but the later ones are stukim, so... They were wiped out because they weren't from, or because of this, that was like, okay, there's a question why they were wiped out, but... You look back and say, we're celebrating Hanukkah? There's nobody left. There's nobody left from Kiskash Malan. The Gemara says, anybody claims it, they're from Avodin. Or imposters completely. How can that be? That's not possible. Because Baruch let that happen. The answer is, what happens down in this world, there's very little correlation to the ultimate reward in the Elamahemis. And it's painful. This is the old question of why wicked people prospering and Sadiqim are suffering sometimes and We have to constantly look above what we're seeing and understand what we're seeing. We don't really understand even though we think we're deciphering. And our job is to try our hardest and dive in for the correct outcome. But when it comes to our tefillahs, when it comes to our efforts, it can't just be, I put in an effort and I did more than the next guy. Take the example of tefillah once we're on it, then we'll move on to other things. 
famous pasuk, Tfilu Lani Kiyatov. Tfilu Lani means a poor person davens Kiyatov. What does Kiyatov mean? So there are many explanations. Yatov can mean when you put a talus on. You're uh, surrounded by a talus. Many before Shem say the word Yatov, a modern, modern Hebrew word, is a ma'atefa, is an envelope. When you fold something in half. Kiyatov is you have a person who's davening. He doesn't have to be poor, but he has to feel like he or she are missing something. They're not there yet. So the Ani is weighed down. You're davening and you're weighed down by the sheer responsibility of what you have to accomplish based on your tools and based on your talents. And here's where everybody gets humble. They say, yeah, me and Imani, I don't really have much to offer. And... There are other people who are more talented. We were just discussing right before the shear how little. Jonathan was asking me how many people were misyabnim. Who were Hanukkah? Who was on our side? Who was on their side? I don't know the numbers. There were too many of them, but it wasn't eighty percent that weren't yet from. So twenty percent. There's a medrash that says twenty percent by the Gulish Lama, just like Mitzrayim left twenty percent. Very frightening medrash. But 20%, as many Yidden as you see around, Baruch Hashem, who made it, we have a lot of work to do for ourselves, inward, Kirv Ochaikim, Kirv Kravim. And when you approach the Avaida, work we have to do with the humility and the weight of responsibility, then you're going to get a lot more done. And the reason why people in corporate America, the way to build people up is you give them bigger titles, you give them more responsibilities. We hope that the motivational factor in getting him or her to do the work is to show them that they're very of which they are, and they have a responsibility. And they, if they don't do this, it's not going to get done. And Anikiyatov is a person who's a little bent over, not in a depressed way, after the end of the simcha, but in a way where you understand and you never forget for a moment the responsibility you have. The fascinating Moshalite of Cook from Rehovah, the song was in my shul, so he told me from his father, he said, did you ever have the opportunity you had to ask somebody for a favor? So he said, I need a loan, can you loan me a thousand dollars? He says, oh, okay, so I don't. here's a thousand dollars. What do you do right after that? Usually you say, thank you, and you end the conversation. It would be a little bit bizarre to us if, after you have $1,000, say, thank you very much. I also needed a new lease on a car that just came out with a very nice 2018. You want a sponsor? We would know, well, not to do that in the same conversation. You're talking about thank you, so say thank you. A different day, you want to come with another request. Yes, I never thought of this before. You have Hallel. Hallel is the same Hanukkah. We're saying Hallel v'adoya. So you have Hallel and we're saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's the theme of Hallel. Isn't it odd? At the end of Hallel, all of a sudden, we start asking for things again. That's a very fine tefillah. Put it somewhere else. What's it doing in Hallel? Why would you ask? We just, we're thanking Hashem for answering our tefillahs from yesterday or answering our tefillahs in Hanukkah for saving Klai Yisrael. Why, why do Bakashas belong here? So you say, every Shemon Esrei has Sheva Bakashan, that Shemon Esrei. Halil is for Halil. Halil, 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 Halil. What is Bakasha doing there? 
So he set up an interesting muscle. He says, picture a guy, Leilenu, hanging out of a third floor balcony on a rope being held by a guy on the fourth floor. How he got there, who knows? But his friend is holding on the fourth floor and they call the fire department. They're working on finding a ladder and they didn't build one high enough yet and they're calling a different fire department. They're getting there. Meanwhile, he's holding him. And um, an hour goes by, two hours goes by, and he's still holding him, sweating. Uh, would you ever think to say, Chaim, I really appreciate you held me for the last two hours. Thank you very much. You can let go now. <coughs> I wouldn't say that, because let's go with this concrete pavement down below. It's kind of dangerous. So he says, thank you very much for holding me, and please continue to hold me. Halal, we're not just saying thank you to somebody who gave you a thousand dollars. Halal has to come with the understanding that everything we have, we spoke about, we're breathing, we're living, we have what we need basically, especially in America, and Baruch Hashem, it's never been better in terms of uh, lack of anti-Semitism. They do like us, they don't like us, but it's never been better, and anybody who, it's a chayv kodesh to give this over to our children, because they're going to think this is normal for those. Halavai should continue. I'd be as gold tzedek, but understand that the Baruch is holding us by a lifeline. And everything that happens, if we take it for granted, we just say thank you. We don't say thank you. I need every hour as an Isayan, and i got to tackle another problem. And I, if I fall short, even if I don't feel in distress, if I fall short of my obligations toward my family, and my davening, and my learning, and my chesed, and for Klai Yisrael, that's a responsibility that we can be held accountable for. So in Halo, we thank Hashem for saving us in Chadaka and in Pesach and in Rosh Chedesh. Whatever yantiv we have in the Halo, it's important to say, yes, most of it's thank you, thank you, thank you. We're not going to save the Ona Hashem HaShiyah, please save us for a different conversation. Because we understand that it's not a different conversation, it's the next second, the next minute. And we, the little people on the ground, have to understand if our Gedelim teach us Achrayus. I've been in Philadelphia now. I've been here since five minutes, ten minutes before we started. I've been in Philadelphia for about eight hours. Because uh, I uh, batch up all the things we have to discuss, and I spent quite a few hours in the yeshiva. And I wasn't in the best mentorship, so I was in the yeshiva's office. So, it's so funny, it came up in conversation. I don't want, you know, we're very close, so I don't want to get back and don't get angry to even mention the name. But, uh, I mentioned something, and then I said, you know, uh, I don't know if I even have time for that. And then I looked up and realized who I was talking to. And I said, I, I meant that uh, I'm, I'm not as young as the Rosh Hashiva is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he gets. He, I, I, I went to his house. He walked up the steps, you know, Baruch Hashem, uh, quicker than I did. Where does that come from? That comes from a sense of a Christ. You can't get tired. You can't be weary. You can't walk slowly. You can't, there's too much to do. So you'll say, well, I can't handle that. I can't be on wheels the whole time. I don't be on wheels the whole time. Just for about 120 years. That's not that... Uh... And anybody says, well, why don't you be that? Look at anybody who's not involved in any of it. It's Hashem. Or a guy's only high in Zion Mitzvahs. Look, look at society. Look at culture. They're all on wheels. question, which wheels do you want to be on? They're all running and doing and... Everybody's on wheels. The question is, which wheels do you want to be on? 
and you want to be on all your cylinders. Because if you're not, when you ask Baruch Hu, can you hold on to the rope and keep the cylinders going, there's an audit on Kosh Baruch Hu. We hope in Mitzvahim would be able to see that we're trying our best and we'd like to be using all the cylinders. But you have to be making that extra attempt. One of the most fascinating names for a Shevet, God. Why is God called God? I don't know too much about him. They're all Sadiqim. The Pasik says, Ba God. Rashi says, Ba Mazeltov. Very fascinating. Twelve children, thirteen. I assume they got a Mazeltov by everyone. Why was God, Zaycha? Anybody have a child by the name of God? Maybe he said this in the kitchen. The bris? Ba Mazeltov. Why does God get a Mazeltov? Rashi wants to know, why is it one word, two words? Second part of Rashi is the Shmuz of Nazma. If I ever come back, remind me about that. It's too sensitive to say ever now. It took me an hour to get out of it. Uh, but the first, <laughs> remember the Rashi, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, that's for a good shave of or something. Bar God, Bar Mazel Tov. So, what happened over here? That this was a Mazel Tov that surpassed the other Mazel Tov? I think the simple explanation is that Leah was far, far ahead of everybody else by design because she felt that she just intruded and Koshbocha wanted to feel she wasn't a snua, so she had a child, and a second, and a third, and then a fourth. She can rest on her laurels now. She's Rachel Leah's four to nothing. <clears throat> Taking a tsara into the house, just imagine. Ashkenazim here, we do Davinus Ashkenazim, so we don't, uh, contemporary society, we can't even imagine such a thing, can there be two spouses, but taking another tzara into the house when it's not absolutely necessary is like, what for? Why would you, if you're just inviting trouble? In the best of circumstances, with the most perfect people you're ever going to meet, is that the most? And she said, I have these children, I'm way ahead, it's not enough, because maybe i got to do more. So she invited the tzara in, and Zilpah was now elevated to be one of the wives of Yaakov Inu, but almost like a representative, and she has a child, and that child was God. I think the reason this was a mazel tov is because this is exactly our theme tonight. When you think you can't do anymore, you don't have to do anymore, why should you do anymore? <laughs> Layman, it teaches us, no, I don't have to do this, and this is really difficult, really, really difficult, but I'm going to do it anyway, because they're going to bring more shvatim into Klai Yisrael, even if it's painful, and we did it. The child, the result of that decision is going to bring special muscle. So that means whatever you're doing, you're learning and you think that's it, I can't learn anymore, that extra 10 minutes has a special aura to it. That check, when you think you added four zeros already, you can't add a fifth. What's this in four and five? That, that little extra amount. It's not the extra amount. It's the extra amount is now, as we'd say in Yeshiva, it's Magala and the rest. It now tells us what your effort really means to you and that you understand what it means in Shemayim. That you're willing to push 
past what you thought you could ever do. That brings a special mazel and a special siyat of the Shemayim. In reality, going back to fourth to Hanukkah, there's absolutely no source anywhere that says that in Hasashom there's a shasashmad, there's religious persecution, and they're not letting you keep mitzvahs, that you have to take the battle to the enemy. It doesn't say that anywhere. It says that if Hasashom they come, there's certain mitzvahs you have to die for, and then if it's a general time of persecution, shasashmad, you have to die for all lesasays. And if they don't want you to put on trillin, they can take the trillin away. You don't even have to make a stand on that, even though the Gemara has a nice way did. It's a special case. It doesn't say anywhere you have to form an army and take a war that makes no sense on paper, where the odds are so ridiculous that it looks like a suicide mission, and take it to them. It doesn't say that anywhere. <coughs> so in reality, Hanukkah is a huge chiddush. Atasyahu decided, with his children, he told his sons, we're now going to the caves. The first move wasn't the kids. They couldn't do mitzvahs at home. They can't live here anymore. They keep barging in. Let's go live in the caves. Okay. But then he realized that he's now going to have to engage them and go on the offensive. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say it. It doesn't say you have to ever take it to the enemy, especially when you're suddenly going to lose. Yet we know that he did it, he succeeded, and we're celebrating it, which means that he was right halachically. How'd you learn this? Why do you do it? Suicide. It's dangerous. And it was dangerous, even when they won. 25 years, many hundreds of casualties, four to five brothers dead. Why? The answer is, and this is the whole theme of Hanukkah, is that certain things are not written explicitly in Shukhar. And you have to understand, and you have to have leadership to be able to explain it to you, that yes, the Jewish people need this at this time, even though it doesn't say explicitly anywhere that you have to do it, but anybody has to do it. But if nobody does it, there's not going to be any left. So it's true, you just have to take a defensive position, and if they say, wear shotness, uh, you have to get killed. Itchaz, you have to get killed. Avodazar, you got to get killed. But uh, I don't have to go meet them, I'll hide out in the cave, we're doing fine, just, just fine here. The answer is yeah, but by attrition, there won't be any Jewish people left. Well, many food people left. So you got to do something every generation, something that's not part of the strict part of the program, and you got to do it because that's what Hashem wants you to do. And that's why they say, you never notice, we have like three different levels. There's one candle, Mahadrim, Mahadrim, Mahadrim. Why do we have Chazal Gevalocha? It's one thing, everybody does it the same. The answer is to show that the whole theme is to strengthen ourselves into looking into projects and areas where we don't think we're worthy, but we need more people involved. We don't think we can handle it, and we have to push ourselves more. And the Hashemarayim took on the force of the entire Greek empire with absolutely no plan whatsoever. And Hashem was maskim, and he showed them he was maskim by letting the oil burn, which wasn't necessary because you can use Tameh oil. That's the theme of Hanukkah. This uh, wasn't pre-planned. This, uh, you'll see it from here. This is my last picture of the round lady. I was there for about a half hour. And I must feel bad. My hand's out of here like I was giving a drush or whatever. Probably I was doing most of the talking and he was doing most of the direction, of course. 
I had a photographer there who I didn't know, sent me this picture later. I didn't even notice the chair behind it, but you want to see it afterwards. Sideways stool, wedged, looks uncomfortable as you're looking at it, wedged between the wall which had no plaster left on it, and there was more plaster on the floor than there was on the wall. Just to give you an idea. And wedged between the wall and his back with a, an excuse of a pillow in between. Now, again, we're not going to uh, start sitting on chairs that are on our backs. But we do have to understand that we're here to take all the wonderful bounty, especially in this generation that we have, all the Elon Haza, and look at it as a very valuable tool, food, money, family, nachas, very valuable tools. But if we misuse them or take too much for ourselves, <coughs> there's an accounting system in Shemayim, and you got to account for every penny. Did you ever, when you grew up, did you ever go to the bank and like try to, on your tippy toes, I remember, look at the guy, and say, wow, that's so cool, he's counting out, look at how much money he has. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, that's like, great. And my father explained to me, he doesn't really own it. What do you mean he doesn't own it? Look at the way he's dangling it out, it looks like he doesn't own it. Ramara Leib has spent 104 years teaching us is that we don't own any of this. And in case you uh, think that that's a daunting way to look at things, if you wondered, the beginning of Ayishlach, we landed not too long ago, Yaakovinu is concerned, and rightfully so, that Esav is coming and he's still filming, and he wants to kill him. He sends out some messengers to some sort of reconnaissance flight, just find out if I'm right or wrong, I want to know what's coming. And they came back and they said, oh, are you right, he's coming with 400 generals. Each general has a battalion under him. He's quite annoyed. What's he annoyed about? Well, he claims he stole the brachas. Ah, he sold it before? Okay. Asaph has a selected memory, we know that, but it gets worse. <coughs> Yaakovinu splits up the camp. These are all explicit him. So first of all, he splits up the camp and he says, I have plan A, I'm a Davin, I'm going to send them a lavish gift as a bribe. Bribing used to be politically correct also. Now they call it political action or something like that. But it's, not, uh, but it's more or less the same thing. Promotional items of business, whatever, it's all bribes, but uh, whatever. We don't call it that. But he sent them a very lavish gift. And he Davin and he got ready for Muhammad. He got uh, everybody's swords uh, under their cloaks. And he figured, if all else fails, I'm going to split up the camp in case he really starts fighting and the other one will be able to run. That was uh, plan B. Did you ever notice on uh, the next Pusuk, Asaph comes, he can picture like he's inspecting the troops, and they're all lined up and says clearly in the Pusuk, each mother with the kids, and they're all lined up there. What happened to splitting up the camp? They were all there. So, the answer, I believe, is that our effort here is part of Elam Hazel. We've got to put in the effort, got to do the Shtadlis. The real effort is our Zchusim and our Tilis and the Kosh Baruch Hu sent in the middle of the night. But the only thing that happened between that plan and the fact that they never met Esau split up was the fact that during the night, Yaakovin was attacked by the angel of Esau. They fought all night and Yaakovin won. He was injured, but he won. 
And he realized very quickly that that battle was his battle against his brother in Shemayim. And every battle we have down here is first fought and decided in Shemayim. And when he finished that battle and walked away at sunrise victorious, he realized he has nothing to worry about, so he brought everybody back. So, that's lesson number one, is that we have to remember always in our tefillahs and our generate, generating of chusim, is where the battle is being fought. It's not fought down here. This is just the result, and we've got to go through the motions. He lines everybody up, and now he's less afraid, much less afraid, and Mesav comes by, he's inspecting um, the whole family, and he asks what sounds like one of the most ridiculous questions in the history of mankind. <laughs> Here they met after many years, and this was clearly planned. And he's going up and down, and he, first he comes over and either hugs Yaakov or tries to bite him, one of the two. And that didn't work, so he's smiling, sort of. And he's expecting the entire family, and he says, My dear brother, who are these people? What kind of ridiculous question is that? Who are these people? I don't know, they're just extras I hired for the set. <laughs> Who do you think they are? Who else would stand around here when you come with 400 people? I couldn't get anybody here if I wanted to. Who are these people? What was the question? Answer is, he knew they were. He comes. He sees a beautiful family, beautiful children, and he has even a bigger complaint. He said, my dear brother, we made a deal before we were born. We were fighting already, if you recall, and you were kicking, I was kicking, and everything was uh, really rough, and we made a deal. Instead of fighting all the time, why don't we just split it up? You take all of my ball, and I'll take all of my zeh. That makes it easy for everybody. Asaph wasn't interested in all of my ball. Yaakovina had no interest in this world, so we're fine. Esau says, you stole my bracha, if you look at the bracha that was intended for Esau that Yaakov you know, got, it's all about money, and then it talks about money, and it talks about money, and it talks about money, in various forms. Tal and crops, and power, and... So Esau is still really angry about that, he says, that was really part of Olam Okay, but you know what, it's been many years, let's forget about that. But now I come, after all these years, you're from, you're doing all the mitzvahs, you send me a message, tired mitzvah shamarti, to rub it in, so you have a whole long eternity to look forward to, and now you light everybody up, and I see you have Elam Hazel also. You come, and you have a lot of wealth, you have a beautiful family, and all these kids, and they're all dressed in the Shabbos fineries, I don't understand, I've been robbed. I'm running around like a chicken without a head, chasing my tail, everybody's out to get me, I murder somebody every day, and they're all after me, I have money, but uh, no Yeshua Das, and no Olam Abba. Where's the justice? So, mi Elah is a whole new line, and mi Elah is like, what? Well, mi Elah, what does it have to do with you? I expect you to come in in some tattered clothing, and uh, I expect you to be limping. I sent my angel after you, and I'm not even limping anymore. The sun healed you. Nothing I accomplished. And you're proud, and you have everything, so where's the justice? It's a good question. What's the answer? So look at the end of the Pasuk, it says, no, 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 that's the Olam you're correct. Asher Hanan Elokim Esavdecha. He says, these are all tools for my Avodah Hashem. I don't use one pinky of this for my own enjoyment. Again, but that's a tall order for us. You can still have a banana split and not feel too guilty. However, 
the only existence that we have that is justified is when, especially Baruch Hashem, the time like this, Hashem is sharing a lot of peace and security and Parnassa more or less, and the ability to learn, open up yeshivas. So we have a lot of Olamazeh here, and good news is we're using it. The question is, are we satisfied that we used it, that we're almost near miscalculating seven seconds of enough strength to get to the bed? back for a moment to what we started with. What do you do when Hashem says no? This is, as a tool, the most important thing we need for ourselves, for our children, to teach our children. We have to internalize it ourselves first. There are going to be ups and downs. Ups and downs in our Vedas Hashem, ups and downs in the uh, trials and tri tri tribulations that accompany every day, almost every day in the office. Part of life, and Hashem designed it that way. So we should have a chira, we should have free choice. What do you do when you mess something up? Once in a while, even the people in this room are going to do averus. Once a month, once every two months. Some people will feel once a day. We know lashon harzaser. We can slip and listen to something we shouldn't be listening to. Things people get involved, that's why we have uh, tshuva around the Elul Hashan and Kippur time. But now we're holding in Chanukah, almost as far as you can get for Hashan and Kippur. What does the Yetzirah want from us? Important to uh, know your enemy. What does the Yetzirah want from us when he trips us up? So we think, okay, Yetzirah got me just now. I just listened to 20 minutes of Lashon and I convinced myself that all this was Lataelis and that it was a mitzvah listening to this Lashon and now I realize that that was not true. Or I uh, had two hours to spare, I only needed 15 minutes to relax, and I sort of gave myself a little bit uh, more than I needed, and I took the entire two hours, didn't learn a word. Happens. Now what? What all the Bali Musr say, Chaish is a very famous uh, shmuz on this. He says, the Yetzahara is not after getting us to do this Avery. He's very happy with that. Don't get him wrong. He's thrilled. Any Avery, he'll take anything, big or small. What the Yetzahara is really after is to get us down and depressed and convinced that we're not very good at this, either learning or chesed or mitzvah or trying to get away from kas or whatever it is. We're not very good at it, so you might as well give up. And the real victory for the Yitzhahara is not what we just did, but what's going to happen from the fallout after we can't pick ourselves up. So Chaim Sholevitz, in a, in a classic, gives many examples of this, says that the, uh, the fall is inevitable once in a while. It's a question how you fall and how you pick yourself up. And do you ever wonder, I don't know if anybody uh, skis around here, but uh, if you ski, you fall a lot. Most people who love the sport don't mind at all. They say that's where the fun is. Okay? I, don't, I have different ways of having fun, but um, whatever makes them happy. And they fall, and they get up, and they fall, and they get up, and they fall, and get up. What gives them the uh, kayach, the strength to keep getting up? The answer is they love what they're doing. 
the first thing you have to know is what you're doing is so important, you can't afford to stay down. And if you do stay down, I'll just give you one contrast, he says, it's very powerful. Uh, we know from Megillus Rus, Arpa was on a very, very high level. She came back to the desert, walking with Naomi, her mother-in-law, as is Rus, and they're sacrificing, these are princesses, they're sacrificing everything they have, walking back to Yisrael for a life of bizarre poverty, embarrassment. They were not popular. They left when things were bad. And they're walking, walking. Nami says, please go home. You did enough. Fine, thank you. I'll face the music. You, know, you don't need this. Go back home and keep the Zion mitzvahs. You'll be fine. And we know that they pushed and pushed and Rus pushed for another seven seconds. And Arpa said, okay, I was nice and been very nice. She gave her a kiss goodbye. And she turned around. <clears throat> Without any uh, Gemara's or Chazal's, we would say she turned around. So what happened to her? We would say she was a princess and she probably kept mitzvahs, at least her seven that she had to keep, and then probably went into something politically correct like saving the whales or sequoia trees or whatever she wanted to do, and um, lived happily ever after as a princess in Moab. The Gemara, we won't go, go through all the gory details, the Gemara says that that night she managed to do more Averas than most people do in 500 years. Like, why? You're, you're holding almost by Rus. She just pushed another seven seconds. That's the whole difference. That's the night scene. She pushed a little bit harder, more than she thought she could. And Martha said, okay, you have to leave five times, so I'm going to go home now. So she has to go back and uh, fall to the lowest depth. The answer is, the Yitzhahara not only wanted to stop her from reaching godless at Yitzhahara, wanted to get her so down and depressed that she would go completely off. <coughs> so when she got back and she felt it was too late to turn around, I don't know if it was, but she felt it was, said, oh, I really blew it. If once I blew it already, I might as well just blow it all the way and enjoy myself. And as Asa found out the hard way, no doubt, not only did she not end up enjoying herself, because Elam Hazeh, being involved in these things, just, you don't enjoy it. She also lost all the model. So how do you build in a system of safety? How do you have a safety net to try to uh, prevent that? This is so important. If uh, I deal with, uh, I deal a lot, again, with, uh, with adults, but plenty uh, Bachram, their children, Come and uh, the girls, Baruch Hashem, the Beis are doing a very good job because they're actually brave enough to call with their own shaylus and issues. And 99% of it is the collateral damage after what went wrong went wrong, and then it's a month later and what happened since then. So he brings a fascinating example. There's a Gemara Sanhedrin that says the Shlomo Melch, the great Shlomo Melch, was so powerful spiritually at one point, he was the king over the heavens, the angels, the spiritual realms, and Eretz Yisrael, Klai Yisrael, and the whole known civilized world. Then when he started losing his level a little bit, it went down, he wasn't the king over the heavens anymore, not over the angels, just king over Middle East, and then just Eretz Yisrael, and then just Yushalayim, and then the famous Mice in the Gemara, where some shady character kicked him off the throne, and he was thrown miles and miles away, and he just landed somewhere, sounds like somewhere in the Negev or something like that, and picked himself up. This is before Gedelman pictures. There's no credit cards, no Gedelman pictures. 
and he just lands with his walking stick, and he's there. Now what? Eggett wasn't even running anymore. Like he can't. Like, <laughs> so he does what you have to do. So he walks to the first village. He knocks on the door. He says, uh, "Excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm your king, Shlomo Melech. Uh, can you please give me a few dollars? I got to get back to Yerushalayim." I suppose the nice ones smiled meekly and dropped him a few coins. Like, how's he going to prove that? So you say he had a beard. Well, so did everybody else. This went on house to house, and um, it was difficult to say the least. The Gemara has an expression after he's thrown off the throne, he has no malchus at all, but he was still king. The Gemara says he was king on his walking stick. Chai says, king on his walking stick? How can you, I understand you can be a king on a city-state, on a country, on a region. How are you king on a walking stick? Well, how does it work? Who's the subject? Who pays taxes? Forget the, uh, what, what, what type of kingship is this? It's a brilliant insight. There's no way to learn the Gemara. He was king of the walking stick. He was Shlomo He still had his head. Baruch Hashem. Chacham it was still working quite well. And he said, look, I'm collecting uh, half a shekel at a time. Ultimately, I'll have enough to get back. And he did get back. And when he got back, the shady character was in for a surprise. And he got back his throne. How did he get back? The question is, how did he get back? How many shekels did the uh, taxi cost? The question is, how do you survive such a rejection, such a fall? So Shalom al knew the danger. He says, the danger now is I'm just going to get down. I'm just not even going to try. So he took his walking stick, and he walked proudly with his head up with his walking stick. What's that, walk tall and carry a big stick? That's where they got it from. And he said, I'm going to get back to Yishalayim, and I'm going to rule by Israel, and I'm going to get back into my Vedas Hashem, and uh, we're going to get this done. How? I have no clue. We're going to get it done. If I hold on to my stick and I realize that I'm still somebody who has the talent to do it, then it'll happen. So he used his walking stick as almost like a charade, but it worked. I'm walking now, this is my stick, and this is my kingdom. And the Yitzhahara spends all day and all night trying to convince us that we're not kings, and we're not royalty, we have no kingdom, and nobody needs our help, and nobody wants our help, and what are we contributing, the small amount of learning I'm doing, and the small amount of stalker, and my check doesn't have so many zeros, what good is it? Answer is, well, if you look at the greater picture, it looks like a lot going on. How much can we really contribute? And the real answer is that Kosh Baruch is marking according to what we can handle and the ability to push ourselves a little bit more. And that's all he wants. I think uh, of Shapiro, the Tavyomi, said that, you know, it's in the Pusik. Abnovina was taken outside and Hashem told him, look at the stars and count them. And what does the next Pusik say? He says, you can't count them, and your children are going to be that many. Man Shapiro says, but when Hashem told them to count them, what did he do? We read the Pussy quickly, so we say, of course he didn't count them. Man Shapiro says, no, no, Hashem says count the stars, he started counting. One, two, three, four, five. When he got to 162,000, Kosh said, okay, that's enough. But he didn't even start. The answer is, that's what Klai's role is. You're small, you look defenseless, it looks like a blip on the radar. And what you're doing in your Mysum is controlling all the monarchs, all the governments, everything that happens in the world is Yisrael. 
And Matasio understood all that, which is why he sent his sons into battle. We'll end with one more Hanukkah tie-in, which goes extremely well with our theme. Avdesler has a question. If you're familiar, there's a story in Navi where Avadja Hanavi, Avadja was a ger from Edom, who was the chief of staff in Athos palace. You think it's difficult to be chief of staff in Washington. This uh, makes that look like a picnic. Uh, between Ahav and Izevel, you don't know what's coming next. They both weren't too good. Izevel was even worse. And uh, the intrigue and why he had him there, we know why he had him there, because Ahav deep down had a streak of Amuna in him, and he said, you know what, as bad as things are, and as many of Otozaras and Geshkas they have around the palace, if you have a tzaddik here, maybe it'll do something. And when things weren't going as well as he thought, he complained to him. He said, I thought you were a tzaddik. What's going on over here? Of course, he never stopped to think for a moment that if you want to live like Zimri, you can't ask for the schar Pinchas. But that eluded him. So he was the chief of staff here, and uh, Izebel was killing one by one political ex executions or religious executions, killing one by one every single Navi in Tamachachim around. It was horrific. He took the last hundred and hid them in two caves. You'll say, okay, so that's very heroic. You do that for a day or two. If Izevel catches him, he's going to be dead. And if not, they'll save him. The only problem is it wasn't a day or two. Izevel had a long reign, unfortunately. And he hid them, and he had to feed them for years and years. Now, Novi always had some money, and he was the chief of staff, so he had a nice salary. He ran out of money. He started borrowing with high interest rates. Couldn't make this up from the prince, who obviously knew about it. I think Ahab also knew about it, just nobody told Izevel, which is good, to their credit. And he started borrowing money at 19%. And borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and borrowing. You're not allowed to normally pay ribis, but for Sakana Safashi's money, he was saving lives. And then he died. Left a huge <coughs> bill, millions and millions of dollars. The wife of Avadja is the famous Almana, Tzadikis, who came complaining to Elisha Navi that the prince, who now the king, is trying to take my children away into slavery because I can't pay my bills. Because I owe him the money. After, very famous, she came begging, what do I do? He wants to take my kids. Now, just to uh, understand how evil this was, you say, uh, politically correct, uh, he's got to take the kids? Like, uh, Avadja was a known person, <laughs> Navi. Like, why start off? He had plenty of money. The answer is, he was Mr. Nice Guy. He says, no, no, I'm going to take your kids. They'll come live in the palace. I'll raise them as princes. It's exactly what she was afraid of. But I'm not letting my kids anywhere near your palace because you're all corrupt and you're all Deva Nazar. So she came crying to the Navi, what do I do? I don't have any money. So he tells her to go home, ask her if there's anything in the house and cupboards are bare. Is there anything? says, yeah, there's a little pach shemen. Five ounces, retail value, $14.52. She has millions and millions of dollars. She says, okay, stop borrowing empty vessels from the neighbors and just keep borrowing as much as you can. Close the door, I don't want anybody watching this. You don't want the nace to uh, public. And start pouring. I was once telling a little kid the story for the Navi. He said, I've heard that. Didn't Baba Sally do that? So, <laughs> I said, yeah, maybe, but uh, this one's a little bit more famous, not to him, 
But uh, Baba Sali, I'm sure, could have. But this doesn't happen every day. She's pouring and pouring and pouring. It happened on Hanukkah. That's a nice Hanukkah. And it kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And she filled everything up and we ran out of utensils. Told her son to bring more. We ran out. That's it. Okay. She has a house filled with pots and pans, all filled with valuable oil. And now we have the second most difficult question to understand. We had the first one earlier in the night, but this one's by Tzadikis. She comes back to Alicia and says, okay, I poured out 762,000 gallons. What do I do now? That's just, what, do you, what do you do now? You're not going to eat it. And latkes, there's a, there's a limit <laughs> to how much you can handle. It's a shy What's the question? What are you going to do? What is she supposed to do? That's a salad. What was she asking? <clears throat> so some say it was um, advice. Said, we don't know. Oil now is only a $62 a barrel. Maybe it'll go up. Should I hold on? Should I go long, short? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's not the job. That could be part of it. But that's what says the pshat is that she understood that 99.999% of the oil now in her possession was miraculous oil. And it doesn't belong to her. And the same Novi who made the miracle and told her to do this, he's the one who has to tell her, even though it's obvious that the whole reason this is done, she's got to pay her debts, she has millions of dollars, but she can't make a move. It's not hers. She has to ask. Then she went to ask, and the Novi said, don't go long, don't go short, the market's great now, and sell off and put the rest in the bank, something safe, and you're good to go. What's amazing about this is, Desla saying it in relation to the fact that she felt this oil, the magazine didn't belong to her, it wasn't, it just grew. In reality, everything we have doesn't belong to us. We think it does. We have money, and we have uh, our families, and we have our positions, and we have our covets, and we think uh, we become Kanakas, and we think it all belongs to us, and here today, here tomorrow. And Halavai, all the brochures should continue. Lamaisa, the same intuition she had that if this isn't my department, not something I own, but it's something I'm supposed to use, I better ask a Navi or a Chacham what to do. I need instructions. The problem is our paycheck and all the other things that we get from Akash Baruch doesn't come with instructions what to do with it. But Rav Dessel's advice over here is really speaking to all of us, and that is that yes, we live at a time with tremendous shifa and bracha. There are always problems. Every generation has the issues they're dealing with. Well, we've got to work harder. But in terms of God's conditions, it's never been better, not even remotely close. I always tell people, if you even compare this to the Golden Age in Spain, you don't know anything about the Golden Age of Spain. What well, Spain means, they went out and they weren't beaten up every single day and uh, lasted a few years and some people made money. Here we have a situation where Kosh Baruch wants to help us rebuild after a Muhammad. We're given these tools. We have to remember, they're not ours, and we have to be shol eitzah and get hadracha. How do we spend it? How do we use it? How do we divide our time? It's not just a free-for-all. There are, and I'm, I'm happy to say that many people come to me, besides regular shayas, they come to me, I have X amount of time, I just freed up, what do I do with it? That's a very real question. That's probably the most important question they can ask. Time is the most priceless thing you have. I have an extra 20 minutes, what do I do with it? 
I have to discuss the people. You're lunch, you have 20 minutes. They want to know, should I learn this, should I learn that? Should I do a partner's attire, should I do this? Where's the hire? What do I do? They understand that it's not theirs. It's not morbid. We're all living a borrowed time. It's not morbid. It's actually very uplifting. If you realize you're living a borrowed time, 120, 150, 200, whatever the amount is, Ramesha didn't want to sign a document to 120 because he felt, why limit the bracha? Whatever the number is. But it's borrowed, it's not ours. And once you know it's not yours, then you can take calculated risks of trying to extend yourself. You can send your children to make a revolution and make a Hanukkah. You could stretch yourself, even if you're a little tired, and give yourself one more shot, and learn a little more, give a little more, and comfort somebody a little more. And the entire theme of Hanukkah is going that extra mile. Baruch Hashem, we're doing it. Just have to keep in mind that we have to stretch it to the fullest. Our friend of Hanukkah. Thank you, Rabbi Viner, for the very inspiring words. Um, we will move the uh, mechitzas in. If people want to enjoy the uh, desserts, they can still enjoy the desserts, but we'll have a minute for Meyerf now. And uh, the audio of tonight's share will be available as a shem uh, in the email tomorrow. And just one last announcement. There are, as Rabbi Viner mentioned, the, uh, the flash drives. Uh, with the 1400 shirim available for just the cost of the flash drive of $10. They're on the table Tell here. Buy like one them. Of those things. Uh, you can, all you need to do is just plug, you know, plug it in. If your car has USB, you can hear 1400 shirim, all for $10 for the cost of the flash drive. They're on the table there. You can leave the money there. Somewhere over there. Okay. Don't snowflake.